the hand when we meet by you invited you are with us as you said one with you and one another in our unity someone see in us your sister brother one in every place in time one day all the church will capture that bright vision glorious and your saints will know the rapture that your heart desired for us The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 27, which says, And there followed Jesus a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the, bo- and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout this Lenten season, we have been going through the journey to the, to the cross. Throughout the midweek services in this past uh, Sunday for Palm Sunday, we have read about the little detailed moments leading up to the caring to the crucifixion. Today, we re- you heard about this interesting moment where Jesus says some interesting words. He's greeted by these women who are mourning. And understand that the women who are mourning, this is not Mary, this is not Mary Magdalene. These are the professional mourners. In the time of Jesus, there were people that they got paid to cry. They got got hired for funerals or when anybody died and they cried. A job that I think a lot of people probably feel they'd be good at. But that was what their job was. And so they were crying because they were sad for Jesus. They were grieving. They were crying because that was what their job was to do. And so Jesus told, tells them this. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now that first line is, is it, that too, is it too strange? Because it actually pretty well describes why we commemorate Good Friday, why we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. We are not to be, when we meditate on the cross, it's not to meditate like, oh, poor Jesus. 
poor guy, just rough luck. In the contra- contrary, we are actually supposed to be weeping over ourselves, over our sin, over our death. That it is our, that is what happened to Jesus is a consequence of our sin. So the weeping is not over Jesus, but over ourselves. That's what we are to be crying for, and that's what Jesus is calling these women to do. Don't cry for me, cry for yourselves. But he said, then he says, for behold, the days are coming, which is right away telling you Jesus is about to speak prophecy. For the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. So he speaks in this little riddle, in this, par- in this prophecy, and a great mystery comes is when was that prophecy fulfilled? Because it is not fulfilled in the Gospels. It isn't fulfilled in the book of Acts. It's not fulfilled in the book of Revelation or any of the other um, epistles written in the New Testament. Which means we are kind of left to speculation. But there is one event that many people strongly believe he's referring to. And it's something that is recorded outside of the scriptures, but in the historical writings of the same time period. See, if you're in the Passion, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, Pilate is trying to avoid a war, a bloodshed. And he did a good job his entire time in Judea. That never happened again after the crucifixion. He did it a few times before, but not again. And so everything was peaceful until somewhere in the 60s AD, things started going bad. Things started getting, basically the Jews started to riot and the Romans went, came, came down and they fought back. Well, right before this period was a large persecution of Christians. And the most notable of martyrs was James, the brother of Jesus. When James was killed, the Christians left and fled to the mountains and to the hills, which Jesus speaks about in his um, prophecy. They go up there for rescue. And it's shortly after that that this war breaks out. And in the midst of the war, a famine breaks out. And I should say breaks out, I should say forced upon them. The Romans made sure to starve them. And the starvation reached such a point that there were actually mothers who ate their infant children. That is what is believed Jesus is prophesying. Which is why they, he says, blessed, is he, why he says, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. A couple weeks ago, there was a movie that came out, it's called Risen. And in the movie, there's a neat little conversation between Pontius Pilate 
And the main character, played by Joseph Fiennes, I can't remember his name, I think it's like Flavius or something like that. I'm just going to call him Joseph Fiennes. And, but anyways, they're having a conversation in a, a hot tub, and Pilate asks Fiennes' character, what are your goals in life? What is your goals? And he goes through this whole list of things that he wants to do, and eventually, and he says that he wants to rise up in rank so that he could be wealthy enough to buy his own home somewhere in the country, and so that he may have a day where he doesn't have to kill anyone, and he may finally have peace. To which Pilate says, what, what great lengths just for peace. We as a people desire peace so badly because we live in a world of chaos. What happened with those women and what is being prophesied to those women in Jerusalem is a preview of a war that was to break out and just how the lack of peace in their world would affect them. The very thing that was happening to Jesus himself was evidence of the lack of peace in this world. And then, and then you look in our own lives, in our own day. This past week, the, attack, the terrorist attack in Brussels, the many people killed. We still fear and we worry about ISIS. We consider, and then you have what's going on in our political climate. We have people attacking, physically attacking people during campaign rallies. You have our candidates being pretty nasty with one another. We see a lack of peace in our own homes. We have, we have conflict between brother and sister, between parents and children between husband and wife, between boyfriend and girlfriend, if, they read, if they're still at that point. There are, there's conflict between neighbors, conflicts between good friends, there's conflicts in schools, there's kids are being bullied and treated horribly. There's conflict all around us in every bit of our lives. And the thing that our world usually comes up with as a solution to this lack of peace is either is basically the most common way is we kind of go the opposite of a famous Luther quote. Luther once said, peace if possible, and he's talking about earthly peace, peace if possible, truth at all costs. Our culture functions under truth, if possible, peace at all costs. We, don't, we think, we don't want to ever talk about the differences that we have in ideology about in this world. We, don't, we want to silence people who think differently. Or we silence ourselves just because, well, we don't want anyone to think differently about us. And we convince ourselves that that is peace. But in reality, it's kind of like burying somebody in the city of New Orleans. If you ever go down to New Orleans, they don't have cemeteries like back here. They have mausoleums. Because if they bury it, 
the body will pop right back up because it's under, below sea level. So when we go to the National Youth Gathering, keep your eyes open for that. That's why. When, you, when we go with this idea that peace is where we hide our differences, bury them under the ground, all it does is it pops back up. And it shows up in other ways. All of us know what that's like when we have a conflict with somebody and we hold it in and we hold it in and we hold it in. What usually happens? One little thing and it explodes and it's probably a lot worse than if it had been dealt with beforehand. Every single one of us has that experience. See, Jesus himself said, I have not come to bring peace, but, to, but a sword. To turn father against son, daughter against mother. He talked about how on his account, family members would turn other family members into the governing authorities that they would be sentenced to death. And yet, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Is that a contradiction? No. When Jesus says that he hasn't come to bring peace, he means he's not coming to bring peace as we understand it. The peace that we want. That peace will not exist in this world. But Jesus came to bring an everlasting peace. An everlasting peace that actually flows from truth. See, tomorrow we're going to be focusing on the passion of Jesus, focusing on his crucifixion. There, that is a true historical event. When we say, well, to me, Jesus rose from the dead, that just makes Jesus' resurrection a personal opinion. You might as well say, to me, Barack Obama's the president of the United States. Now, we could debate whether or not you like him, but he's still the president. Or, to me, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. That'd be a nonsensical statement, but we say those type of things all the time about Jesus. When he lived in history, he's a historical figure. This book... It's written in history by real flesh and blood people. Pontius Pilate was a real person. Caiaphas, a real person. Annas, a real person. Herod, real. All of these things that happened, crucifixions, happened. And the minute that we turn the Bible into a personal feeling, into a personal belief, we have destroyed Christianity. When in reality, Christianity is a historic faith. And if it didn't happen, then we have nothing. If it did happen, we have everything. The truth is that Jesus rose from the dead. The truth is that his death and resurrection conquered sin, death, and the devil forever. The truth is, is that his death and resurrection is the thing that brings peace. Every, this, this evening, you're going to come up and receive the Lord's Supper. 
And in something that was echoed in the hymn we just sang, and it's going to be echoed in the hymn we're going to sing in a little bit, which was at the, sung at the LWML uh, National Convention, so, um, which is, I love that hymn, it's, what is this bread? Um, but anyways, both of them echo that in this supper, you receive peace. Not peace as the world gives it, but the peace as God gives it. Which is kind of a little bit of an irony, I know, because the Lord's Supper is actually a source of division in the church. Because there are those who confess that the body and blood is present. We confess that. There are those who say, well, that's just bread and wine and that's it. We confess that there is forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. There are those who confess well, it's, it is just a way to remember Jesus, which we do remember him, but that's not it. That's not all. There are those who say, it's, we don't need to take it too seriously. It's just a thing we do in response to God's love, rather than it being God given to us, that we feast on the ver- God of God, very God of very God, begotten, not made, We feast on him and the bread and the wine. There are those who confess that that is not the case. And again, our temptation is peace if, truth, truth if possible, peace at all costs. That's actually kind of what open communion is functioning as. It's saying who cares about peace? We don't care about the truth. We just want to get along with one another. But what did Paul say of those who ate unworthily? They became sick, weak, and some even died. How many of you think it's a good idea to give... What would you think of a doctor who gave something to you that they know would kill you? Or could kill you? You wouldn't think much of them. That's why we practice closed communion. It's because we love, it's out of love of the sacrament and of the individual. That peace is only possible through truth. True peace comes from the truth who is Jesus. And so we do not stand idle when falsehood is taught. We look, but we stand in in truth, wherever it may be found. And we long for the day that all of us confess the one truth, that Jesus is Lord. And by that confession, we will know what peace really is. Those women in Jerusalem, why Jesus told them to not weep over himself, not to weep over Jesus, but to weep over themselves. It's because we need to repent of our sins. Confess of our sin. Repent. Because he who is faithful and just forgives you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And by that, we have peace. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with hymn 629. You may remain seated.